Hey, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's sermon podcast at Yarmouth Wesleyan. We hope that you are encouraged by the message that you're about to hear. Uh, And we'd really appreciate uh, if you would subscribe on Apple Music or follow us on Spotify. That really helps us continue uh, to do the work that we are doing. So thanks again for tuning in and enjoy the message. How are we doing? Pretty mediocre. Not a bad start. We, we can work with that. If, uh, if you're watching online, you could leave a comment and let us know how you're doing as well. Uh, there are moments in history where everything changes. Agreed? I'm not sure we always know it. I'm not sure every time the moment happens in history when everything changes. I'm not sure we can always identify it. But there are moments in history where something happens or some things happen that makes it where things that were true before are no longer true or things that were no longer true are now true because of this moment in history. Is that fair? I I wonder about the first debate, because debating did not start in 2020, contrary to popular opinion. I wonder the first debate around a dinner table where the flat earth people were debating with the new believers that the world was not flat, it was a circle. I wonder how that debate went. I, I wonder how the debate went the first time someone's like, no, no, it's round, and I know it. Like, I wonder how they argued over those things. I would love to have seen that debate if they had Facebook back then. Like, how are they going to fight over this earth? Like, but the moment they realized this is a globe and not a flat piece, like, that was, that was a moment. The world was forever changed for people's understanding for how things work. Imagine the very first flight. How many don't like flying even now? Uh, there are people who are terrified. There is no greater feeling than going down the runway at however fast that jet goes on land, and it goes from land to air in that moment, right? Right? when your stomach goes to your feet or to your throat, whichever way it moves for you. But, but, but imagine the first flight with people as they broke ground for the first time. Like th- that, that was a moment where the world was forever changed. I was thinking of this one today. Imagine the first time when the world changed forever in a historic moment when somebody held up a lobster and said, we should eat this. Like, you talk about being ostracized for believing certain things. I think the flat earthers would be doing a whole lot better than the first guy who said, see this thing? We should steam it and eat it. And they'll put some butter on it. But get the goopy guts out because we don't need that. Like, you have to imagine the, like, what we take as normal now. Somebody for the first time walked into a room and said, this thing? This will be delicious. Like, the world was forever changed. The printing press. All of the knowledge going from the power people out to the people. Imagine how much we take this for granted. Imagine the first time someone got their very first book. And they took it home like, this is mine. I own this book before Amazon, before Matt, like when they got to have their very first book, talk about family heirlooms, communication. What was once months to deliver a letter 
went to hours on a telegraph, that went to seconds on a telephone, that went to instantaneous with a tweet. I think we should reverse that and put Twitter back on the month's timeline. I think people who can tweet and post on Facebook instantaneously should have to wait months for the post to be approved. Right? I think that would save a lot of arguments if it took months for your post. Now, I'll, I'll move on. Electricity. Some days I long for when the sun goes down, so do I. I long for when the sun goes down that productivity comes to an end, except we wouldn't be doing this. The moment that electricity flickered in the homes for the very first time, the world was forever changed. Maybe the biggest seismic shift in the last hundred years would be 9-11. Agreed? Almost every poll they do right now, uh, typically with Americans of any age, either gender, of any nationality, 9-11 comes on top as the most influential moment in the last 100 years. Think how many things changed in that moment. You watch old movies when the woman is boarding the plane and the, the, the scorned lover of the ex-boyfriend runs to the gate to call her name, or even in some hilarious movies, runs out the little chute that goes from the building to the plane and then falls off the end because the plane's already gone. Like, this was a major concept in movies and TV shows through the 80s and 90s. It's laughable now. 9-11 changed everything. The day that Jesus of Nazareth was no longer in the tomb was a moment that changed everything. Up to this point, dead people stay dead. Last week, we ended our, our series up to this point by talking about Jesus dying on the cross and what that accomplished for us and what that means for us. But we get the privilege of looking at the cross with the whole book complete looking backwards. But if you were one of the people who followed Jesus, imagine the feelings around seeing your leader, your friend, your son, your, your Messiah up on the cross, lifelessly hanging there. Imagine those moments as they took him off the cross took him to the tomb, walked his body over there, prepared it for burial, took him inside the tomb and laid him on the stone. And then as they walked out, a few of them would have pushed that giant stone into place. I'm not sure they feel about Good Friday the way we feel about Good Friday. Imagine how uncertain they would have felt walking away. Imagine the, well, I guess we called this one wrong. Imagine if they could have tweeted in the moment. Think of the things they would have put online if they had cell phones in their pockets. They all disbanded. They walked away. And then Saturday must have been a very bizarre day to wake up on that day knowing that Jesus was in the tomb. Then there's this rumor floating around. There's this idea circulating that a few people have got to the tomb and the stone was rolled away and the body was gone. And people start to hear this rumor that they can't find the body. Now, they didn't jump to resurrection any faster than we would have jumped to resurrection. But there starts to be these rumors and these rumblings that this Jesus guy is being seen around town. 
He bumps into a couple disciples as they walk along the road, and a few disciples are gathered around a campfire eating, and this Jesus guy who is supposed to be dead shows up, and not as a ghost, but as somebody who eats the food with them. And they gather out near Bethany, and they gathered around to find out, is this Jesus? Is this uh, a dream? Is this an illusion? Is this the ghost? Like, what is happening here? They all meet out there, and Luke ends by them talking at Bethany. But Acts opens a little bit different. If you have your Bibles or your phones, I want to go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 says, In the first book, O Theophilus, in the first book, uh, your author and my author of Acts is Luke. Luke writes his first book, then his second book is Acts. So he starts off by saying, in, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. If you want to read about the life of Jesus, Acts isn't going to help you. You're going to have to go to my first book. You're going to have to go over to Luke and read there where Jesus is born, lives, preaches, teaches, crucified, resurrection. That's in my first volume. My second volume until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait how many times have we brought up the subject of waiting this series? Anyone here enjoying waiting? Are you liking it more this week than you did last Thursday? <laughs> I am honestly sick of waiting. I want the next, right? I want the new day. I want the better day. I don't want COVID days. I want new days. And sometimes the waiting is where we receive the access to the new days. Because he said, go and sit still. And we want to say, we will go and do. God, we'll go be busy for you. We'll work for you. We'll hustle for you. We'll do stuff in your name. We'll serve the community. We'll feed the hungry people. We'll give money to the poor people. We'll go, God. We like going. We don't like waiting and sitting, but sometimes the waiting and the sitting is the precursor to the going. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of sight. And while they were there gazing into the heaven as he went, behold. How many people got to behold this week? Anybody? I have gone home every single day to a behold from my children. Every single day. A couple of the kids couldn't say it quite right, but they got the gist. A couple of times I got a behold? Like, was that the word, Mom, you told us to say when... When that guy comes in the door, 
But we got to get some beholding going, agreed? And two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking to the heavens? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him going into heaven. But wait, you will receive power. I need the Bible. I need God's word to hit me once in a while and jar me out of my stupor and my slumber once in a while. Because when I read words like power, it causes me to pause and think. I don't know about you, but I think many, many people think the Christian life or becoming a Christian is primarily based around three things. Tell me if I'm wrong. Many people believe that when you become a Christian or you find God, or better yet, as many people say, when I find religion, I go to church, I try to be a good person, and I go to heaven when I die. Is that about right? You have these conversations with people. And in fact, some people will even say to you, I'm not sure I want to be a Christian because I don't want to go to church. Church is lame. Church is boring. Sometimes it is. That's where we need to repent for making the good news, the better than you think story, lame. That's our fault. It's supposed to be amazing. And so I don't, I don't want to go to church. So they'll reject faith because they think coming to God is going to church. Then you'll have people say, like, I, I, I can't be a good person. How many people have you said, I can't come to church because I could never keep all the rules, right? I, I tried that once. I tried to behave. I tried to mind myself. I tried to watch my language. I tried, I tried, I tried. I couldn't do it, so I can't behave. And then now, go to heaven when I die, most people are saying, who cares? I think, in fact, if a lot of people are primarily trying to lead people to faith in Jesus by pitting heaven and hell against each other, we'll find that to be an empty argument. I can't tell you the last time I had a conversation with somebody in the community who was like, Pastor, you don't know me, but I live in the community. Tell me how to go to heaven. <laughs> and so what is the point of faith if they don't want to go to church, they already know they can't be good, and they're not even sure they want to go to heaven? In fact, I'll go one step farther. If our faith is primarily about church attendance, morality, and eternity, what exactly do we need power for? Why on earth would Jesus say, don't go anywhere? Because in days to come, your church attendance is going to be really important. <laughs> You're going to need some power, some helping you. See, I think when Jesus said, sit still, don't move, you are going to receive power, he was not thinking about creating a bunch of Wesleyans, a bunch of good citizens. I don't think he was thinking like, well, sit still, you'll receive power. And if you hold on to that power and keep it in a jar beside your bedside, when you die, somebody will come and tap that jar and give it to you and you'll go to heaven when you die. I don't need power if that is the essence of my faith. And so when I read that idea, when Luke says you will receive power, you will receive, you will receive dunamis. You will receive dynamite. I picture people coming to the altar and praying and talking to God and the pastor walking by and sticking a thing, a thing of dynamite in their pocket, going your way. Maybe for new believers, instead of giving them a Bible, we should give them a grenade. No one's reading their Bible anyways. Maybe we should put a grenade in their hand when they walk away, pull the pin. <laughs> See ya. 
No? Just a bad Thursday night idea? I think people need some explosive realities when they leave after an encounter with God. They don't need to leave saying, like, now that you're a child of God, we'll see you at church on Thursday night. Now that you're a child of God, don't swear. Now that you're a child of God, we'll see you in eternity. See you on the other side. I think there's something inside of us when we read this, this dynamite power, this, this thing stirs something inside of us that deep down, tell me if I'm not right, that we know there's more for us. I think even the people who had an experience with church and it didn't do it for them, deep in the recesses of their heart, they know there's something more. They know there's got to be more. And if you're telling me going to church or finding, or sorry, finding God is just going to church, being good and going to heaven, I don't want that. I need something more. And it's like we need to stand there and say, oh, you want, you want some dynamite? God's got more for you. The, the tricky thing is, if we can be humble enough, the question is not, does God have more for us? Or does God have power for us? The real question that we need to ask ourselves with some sense of sober honesty is do we actually want the more? I think there's a lot of people shaking their fist at God as though he's not holding up his end of the deal. And the real question is, I'm not sure the church wants more. I think there are a lot of Christians and a lot of churches that are like, can you know what? I think we'll just stick to the church attendance, the morality, and the heaven. We'll take that. God's like, I have more. Like, no thanks. And I think the problem is not that God didn't show up to be faithful, is that we didn't show up to fulfill. We needed to pull up to the table and say, God, we actually want more, which means if you want to be really honest, when you pull up the seat to God's table and say, I want more, it's not crossing some line in your head and heart to say, well, about to be one of those weird Christians. Oh, I look forward to being ostracized at work. That's actually not the tension. Being a weird Christian who wants more does not mean being ostracized at work. It means being ostracized at church. The tension is not, will the community think I'm weird? It will be, will all the other mediocre Christians think I'm weird? Because there's a whole bunch of Christians that said, like, hey, listen, if you'd stop being weird, my mediocrity wouldn't be so standout-ish. And there's this tension where we actually suppress each other to make us feel good about ourselves. And God's like, oh, I've got, I've got dynamite more for you. The, the, the thing that he says about the dynamite is not just for self-serving purposes. He says, you will receive power, you will receive dunamis, and you will be my witnesses. The power has purpose. The, the, you will be my witnesses, you'll be my ambassador. The, all that language that we have used that you'll hear people say to be a Christian, to be a little Christ, a, 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 a little Jesus, you'll be Jesus in the community. That's partially true, but I think it's actually grittier than that. Well, when I read that you'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses, my mind races way back to John, where Jesus is preaching and teaching. He says, if I go, I will send one, and you all will do what I do. In fact, you will do even greater things. How does the church feel tonight 
about Jesus saying to you, you will do what I do, and in fact, you will do even greater things. Most Christians mean like, well, that's a metaphor. That wasn't literal. That was just like, that was like what your t-ball coach says to you. Like, come on, batter, batter, home run. Here we go, big fella. Like Jesus is just like pep talking me. He's just power of positive thinking me. He's just making me feel good about myself. Some, some just warm fuzzies. Don't answer this. Do you believe what Jesus said? That you will do what he does and more. Because if we can do what Jesus does and more, I think that has radical implications to how we go home tonight. I think if we believe that we can do what Jesus does and more, that has huge implications to how we go to work tomorrow. Do we believe that the power that fueled Jesus is fueling you? Do we believe that the power who raised Jesus from the dead is working in your life? Because that question begs a whole bunch of questions. Because once you cross the line to say the resurrection power flowing through him flows through me, means that when you go back and you read the Sermon on the Mount, you have to believe it's possible. You have to read the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus says that, you know, you need to forgive those who harm you. I, go, I can't forgive them. Jesus, you don't know what they did to me. I will never forgive them. Then you don't have resurrection power flowing through you. Because you're right. You can't forgive them. But the power that raised Jesus from the dead will empower you to extend forgiveness that makes no human sense. So if you're sitting here tonight, if you're watching online, like, no, Nope. No, I said I wouldn't. Then you have an issue with God. Because God is giving you his power to do the thing that you say you can't do. We read this sermon on the mount, and we hear about generosity and storing up for yourself treasures on earth and in heaven. I don't have enough to go around. I didn't ask you if you have enough to go around. Do you believe the resurrection power that flowed through Jesus is flowing through you? Because he will give you enough to go around. You read the Sermon on the Mount and you go through this word after word and it says, uh, Jesus said, love my enemies. So I'll put the spray paint can back in the car. <laughs> I won't deface their property, but it's as far as I can go. No, no. Not don't do evil to your enemies. Not the absence of bad to your enemies. Wish and pray and inflict good on your enemies. That takes resurrection power. When, when, when we look at people and you hear the voice of Jesus say, ah, please don't objectify those people. And he uses the word lust. Like, listen, Jesus, I'm just window shopping. I didn't touch. Jesus says, no, no, to look upon a woman, you might as well have gone all the way. Like, Jesus, like, have you lived in 2020? <laughs> Jesus, do you have a social media account? Do you know what's on there? Like, I can't, come on, I'm human. I'm a male. I'm a red blood. Like, no, then you must not have resurrection power flowing through you. Because the power that raised Jesus from the dead can enable you to avert your eyes. Which means you hold social media in your hands and you are not enslaved to it. I touched on this last week. Resurrection power says this is a tool and I will not be enslaved to it. I do not have to objectify people. 
I have power to stand victoriously over that. It means when you come to the passage where we talk about spiritual gifts, like, wow, I'm just a nobody. Like, I couldn't pray. I mean, I'm not much of a prayer. I mean, sing on the platform. I mean, I'm no Tom Can. I mean, I'm more handsome. But I can't sing like him. Like, what are we doing? That's not resurrection power. The resurrecting power that raised Jesus from the dead imparted gifts into you that are not about you. They flip you upside down. Like, I can't believe I'm doing this. Neither can I. It isn't you. Like, these spiritual gifts, like, I, I can't have compassion. There's too many hurting people in the world. No, you probably can't. But the resurrecting power that raised Jesus from the dead will give you grace upon grace upon grace. No, they're riding on my last nerve. He'll give you more nerves. Like, nope, the next person who opens their mouth is getting a fistful. And God imparts to you grace upon grace. You look there and you're like, wow, this, this thing with the speaking in tongues, I'm at a Wesleyan church. I mean, surely that's not imparted to me. Ask the Lord. These prophetic words, clearly those are just hunches and coincidences. That's not resurrection power. We read the Bible and we read the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Like, you want me to have peace and patience in 2020? Pastor, I can't. I, 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 I can't. I am anxious beyond belief. That's not resurrection power talking. The power that raised Jesus from the dead will give you peace and patience, love and goodness and kindness and long-suffering. I can't, pastor. I'm done. That's not resurrection power talking. That's your flesh talking. And if you listen to your flesh, you are done. Have you paid attention at all to 2020? Do you not feel crippled yet? If you want to keep standing to the end of 2020 and 2021, that's going to take resurrection power. Otherwise, you will sound like everybody else on social media. A cynical critic shaking their fist at people. It's resurrection power that keeps us from that. It's resurrection power that enables us to be kingdom citizens in a broken world. It sends us home to be the husband that we know we can be in, in God in Christ. It sends us home to be the wife that we know we can be. When your kid is screaming to you at three in the morning, it's the resurrection power that keeps you from choking your child. I'm a dad. I'm a dad right here, folks. It's like, Jesus, bear me strength. Bring it now. I need some resurrection power. And over and over in situation after situation, are you not tired of grinning it and bearing it? Are you not fatigued of white-knuckling it for Jesus? Like, one more. One more, Jesus. Come on, church. There is power available. Now, here's the hook. That power is only available when you reject mediocrity. You can't receive until you reject. Meaning, you have to relinquish doing it your way in your strength and step into receiving Holy Spirit power that says, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I want to do it, God, the way you want me to do it. I want to do it my way. Okay, but then you can't have this. You can't have Holy Spirit resurrection power and do it your way. 
you don't get to go home and call the shots and then have God also call the shots the next day. Like, it's one or the other. And one of the things we've been talking about for a long time is that when we come to faith in Jesus, it's not just saying a sinner's prayer so you can go to heaven when you die someday. It is surrender, surrendering your small K kingdom and stepping into his capital K kingdom. And I am telling you, when you will relinquish your stuff and pick up his stuff, there's like a, a supercharged anointing that comes down where it is not always instantaneous. Like, well, I want to feel all tingly, pastor. Those are emotions. Go drink a coffee tonight. You'll feel tingly. <laughs> there are times when he will supercharge you in a moment and for a moment, but more often than not is he's got that trickle charger on you. And he just charges you a little day after day after day. Man, we want the glamorous, instantaneous stuff. Day after day after day, where we die to ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him tomorrow. And then on Saturday, we will die to ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him again. And every day, we worry, God, is there going to be enough for tomorrow? And he grants you enough for tomorrow. God, I can't guarantee you how I'm going to handle Saturday. Saturday's not here yet. There's power for Saturday when you get to Saturday. Church, the question remains, do we actually want the power?